excited to be here. Uh, I said this last night, some of you, if you were in here, you've already heard me say this, so you can play on your phone for a few minutes or something, but uh, I just wanted to say I appreciate First Baptist and Rodney uh, for sure and the host staff here. They've been great. Tori has done a phenomenal job <laughs> getting everything ready. Can we just thank Tori for all she's done? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've enjoyed getting to know uh, some new folks and seeing some familiar faces and some folks I don't get to see on a regular uh, on a regular basis and so we just love the concept of what's going on here with this weekend and uh, we were excited uh, with our church journey church to be able to be a part of it uh, and partner with first in what God's doing here in our city and our hope is that uh, this will lead to even greater things in the future as uh, we realize that we're one body of Christ uh, across this community and so uh, some good friends uh, around the building doing other sessions I hope you'll check them out uh, uh, Chris uh, Harold I was talking to him today uh, Ryan Putnam some of the others uh, just some great uh, some great guys and uh, have a lot to share uh, a lot of wisdom to share from God's Word so hey can I pray real quick let me pray and then uh, we'll just dive into God's Word together father we're so grateful uh, Lord, to be able to be together on a Saturday morning, uh, a little bit of a different time for us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would alert our, our senses, our minds, our ears, uh, uh, just help us to see and to be present in the story. Uh, we thank you for your word and that every time we come to it, it's a mirror for our souls, uh, that it transforms us into your likeness. And so our hope today, God, is that uh, with this time together, you would shape us into the image of your son as we abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to be looking, uh, as um, Rodney mentioned earlier, in John chapter 11, a specific story. And um, as he shared, and I think this is probably a theme that I took from the whole book, is one of John's, um, kind of his hallmarks, if you will, is the idea that it's not just a manual dropped out of heaven. You know, it's not the I said this last night, it's not like those instructions you get with Ikea furniture, where it's like just the individuals, like the little pictures, and you're supposed to decipher all this stuff and wonder what it all means. Uh, these are real flesh and blood people. And I love the fact that what we have is a faith that is not just a book of instructions, it's not another to-do list, that this is indeed um, a picture of people. And in order to shape that narrative, there, there's a few things I wanna set up as we get into the story specifically in John chapter 11, uh, that I think is helpful for us to dive into the story and to feel the story uh, as a narrative, uh, to actually get into the scene a little bit. And some of it comes with what you see John doing overall uh, in, his, uh, in his gospel. Uh, there's some common things that you see. One of the things that John likes to do is he likes to use symbols. Uh, you'll see this uh, through there. This is just a few. There's many more. But you see these symbols of day and night pop up. You see these symbols of sight and blindness. And then you see light and dark. And if you go through these symbols, uh, I mean, just a few of the, uh, of the incidents or the, the circumstances, the, the scenes that you can see, uh, they pop up in different places. And you see this in Rodney's book, um, questions and confusion. You see Nicodemus coming at night and engaging with Jesus in the dark. Uh, you see physical brokenness and pain. Uh, and you see that in uh, incidents like uh, the encounter between the blind man that Jesus has in John chapter 9. And then what we studied last night and looked at was you get the doubt and the denial of Peter. And uh, one of the things we looked at in our session was uh, just that juxtaposition or that contrast that uh, John likes to do where he shows 
Peter in the dark and being exposed by the light and how this progress or this progression of pruning takes place uh, in his life and how he becomes a disciple over time as the Lord prunes him in that process. Uh, And so when you think about these symbols, these become really important to us because when we move into... When we move into the story we're talking about today, there's nothing darker than death. There's nothing that we experience um, that's darker than death. I I think if we all went around the room, we could all uh, share a personal uh, story, uh, a a time in our life where someone close to us, uh, either they were gone too soon or someone really close to us, we mourned the loss, even though we know as believers that we should celebrate the fact that they be, would be with the Lord. Uh, if you've done what I've done uh, from my vocation and you've had to uh, officiate or if you want to be, uh, however, whatever term you'd like to use, uh, preside over a funeral service and stand above a casket and try to offer words of uh, uh, consolation to a family and words of hope. Uh, in different situations, where it be, whether it be a small child, uh, someone that's committed suicide, someone that, uh, that we experienced here in, in our city many years ago uh, with what happened at the events at Westside School. Uh, those are really, really difficult things, but that's real life. And that is the scene. That's, that's what John pulls us into. He pulls us into the fact that the people we're reading about uh, are not meant to be symbols themselves. And sometimes we treat uh, the individuals as symbols, but they're not. They're actually people. And the symbols that surround them, what John begins to do is he begins to help us navigate these individuals and help us to navigate these symbols. And he uses them as cues for us to help us to pull pull us uh, deeper and deeper into into the story. And one of the things that he loves to do, another technique he loves to do is uh, probably different than the other uh, Gospels, is he, he shares with us what he calls signs. a matter of fact, he says at the end of his Gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31, that this was his sole purpose. And he says it this way, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what, say it together, life in his name. And the key to that is to understand the signs. And so what we, what we look at when we get to John chapter 11 is the final sign. It is the, um, it is the fullest expression of a sign. And uh, if you think about why John chooses those words, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, because a sign is something that points to something else. A lot of times I think people get so caught up in miracles that they think the miracle is the point. And so I think what John does is he chooses to use a different word to describe it. He, he wants you to understand that what you're seeing here is a shadow of something bigger. Uh, it is supposed to point you to something deeper. And that is why at the end, if he talks about all the signs, and he didn't even share all of them is what he says, but the ones he chose to share, he thought that these would illuminate life for us. And that when the light is shown on Jesus then what that would do is it would actually bring life to our spirits, our souls, our bodies, and it would help us as we navigate what it means to actually abide in him and to remain in him. Now, this whole life motif of signs, because he says that's his point. Y'all all said it together in unison that that's his point. He wants us to find life. Well, if you back up all the way, that's at the end of the gospel, but if you back all the way up to John chapter 1, he starts that way, doesn't he? 
you know how it starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes on to say that in Him was, there's our Word again, life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The other thing that John's doing, and this is going to set up our conversation today, is he, he's tying this new birth, this new creation, back to the original creation. Because the way that he creates life today in his name is the same way that he created life in the very beginning. Uh, if you were to put uh, Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 right next to each other and you were to survey them just kind of as an overlook, uh, you would see that there's many similarities. And one of the similarities you find right at the outset of Genesis chapter 1 where uh, the word says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and there's darkness that was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That same process that's going through there is what's happening when there is darkness, that light has to enter into darkness in order to produce life. And Jesus himself, he identifies himself as such. In John chapter 8, when we get to John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people and he says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light. And there's our word again, the light of life. And so here's kind of the, here's kind of the entry point to the story, that the story of life begins in the dark. Um, it seems a little bit ironic or maybe a, a little bit counterintuitive to say that, that the story of life begins in the dark, but that is the story of Scripture. That's the story of creation. That's the story of Jesus, of Jesus walking into the darkness and confronting the darkness on every level. And uh, that means that what, when we walk through darkness, that we can experience that as well. Um, I think the one thing that we have in common uh, in here if, if I look around the room, there's some names I really know well and some not so well. But the one thing that whether we know each other well or not is that all of us are looking for hope. Hope is not something that there's a few things that human beings are, don't have to be instructed to desire, right? Uh, one of those things is hope. Uh, it's what moves us forward. It, it's what moves us forward uh, to matriculate through a, a college degree for the college students that are in the room. Like you're, you're hoping to get a degree, right? Uh, it's what helps you navigate the, the cruel and crazy, chaotic world of dating these days. Uh, I'll, I hope this leads somewhere. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of relationships, they die on the, on the, on the floor with, uh, well, the, with one of the other parties saying, hey, is this going anywhere? Uh, I don't know if it's going anywhere. I feel like we're in a holding pattern. There's hope of something. Uh, in, in our relationships, in our spirituality, in life in general, hope is the fuel. It's the anchor, uh, Hebrews would say, for our soul. And that's one of the things that we have, we have in common. And the other thing that we have in common, I think, is that none of us have, just as we don't have to be instructed uh, to hope, none of us have to be instructed to shudder at death and darkness, to recoil from it. Uh, we have four daughters, and each one of them, uh, in turn, has grown up, and they've all been afraid of the dark at one point or another. I'm not going to name names, but one of them in particular, uh, she, she really, really struggled to sleep in her own room, sleep in her own bed, be, a, be alone in the dark, because darkness is a natural place for us to recoil from. We, we want to go toward the light. And the same is true with death. I mean, if you, if you, if you look uh, at the headlines, if you just scroll through your newsfeed uh, on, on a Saturday morning 
uh, your headlines are, are probably going to be filled with just a few things that are just a little bit hard to palate, a little hard to digest, and a little bit hard to reconcile with what you hope to be true about God. And this tension between this hope and this natural feeling that we want to pull back from death and darkness is present in all of us. And so for us to have a faith that's real, that's intellectually honest, that meets us right down here on the ground where there's actually fuel to the fire of our lives and it meets us in our marriages, our relationships, and our jobs, all the things, it has to engage with the darkness. It has to engage with death. I can remember um, a, a few things from my, my childhood. One of my memories that has stayed with me is, uh, is, this, uh, is an event when the Challenger exploded. Does anybody remember that? The reason I remember that, I was in school at the time, and uh, we were all in the library, okay? And that was a big deal because we came to the library and uh, we had a TV. And I was joking this morning because I was having all kind of technolo technology problems, and I told him I know how to work a VCR. Okay, that's about what I know how to work. Uh, but I can remember being in front of the TV on the cart, you know, the cart that had like all the stuff stuck in it and papers and everything. And they had it, and we had, I mean, all these kids circled around this TV that was probably about a third the size of this thing, right? And we were watching, and we watched the Challenger uh, space shuttle explode in midair. And none of us knew what had happened. I mean, we didn't even know how to take that in. We didn't know how to process that. And, and I can remember seeing our teachers trying to kind of clamor around and try to figure out, well, how do I handle this with these young students that are in here? And finally, they turned the TV off because they just didn't know what to do. And if you think about the reality of that, I, I make that point because um, there's a famous comedian, and I don't recommend you listen to his material, but his name is Dave Chappelle. And uh, some of you are laughing because you listen to him, I know. <laughs> but he made this comment in an interview. He said, you know, he, he talked about the Challenger space shuttle, and he said, you know, that was, a, that was etched in my memory as a child. And I was like, that's, that's me too. And he said, the problem is, is that today our children are growing up with about five of those a day. On social media, they didn't have to circle around TV. They have it in their hand. And, and it's no wonder that we live in a world that is just full of anxiety, that the mental health uh, epidemic, the crisis that we're experiencing, um, has changed the tide of what we're dealing with as humankind. And I say that because in order for us to have a faith that is real, it has to address that, right? And so when we look at the story of Martha in John chapter 11, John, maybe unknowingly, through the inspiration of the Spirit, was speaking to all of that, and he speaks to us. And so here's how the story starts. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose uh, brother uh, now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent the word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, this is interesting, right? Because the, another thing that John does is he talks about love a lot, okay? Matter of fact, when you read his letters, he's going to actually say that God is love. Uh, if, you, if you are one of the ones that hold to the fact that the one writing this, the apostle, is the beloved disciple, if that's your take on it or your interpretation of it, uh, then it's interesting even on that note to think that the way that uh, the writer chooses to describe himself 
is the only thing he can identify is someone that was loved by Jesus. Um, and so we know that love is important to him. But what sticks out in this passage is not that we, we know that Jesus in John chapter 3 loved the world. All right, He loved the world. He loved all of us. But he actually names names in John chapter 11 and into 12. Is He actually expresses something a little bit unique. And this, this denotes the personal level, the humanness of Jesus. And so this is just one more technique I think that John's doing. He's pulling us into the story to help us to understand that Jesus felt love on a personal level. And this is important. Isn't it, isn't it important? Because uh, for us to have a, a God that relates to us on every level, this, this is different and distinct. The, the Christian faith that is built on a God that became flesh. And he wasn't half human. He was fully human. He didn't leave the part that mourned or the part that hurt or the part that felt disappointment. Uh, even the part we know from other passages that felt amazed at times. He didn't leave that behind. He actually embraced the full totality of what it meant to be you and me. And that means that we can identify with him because he ultimately identified with us. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that John leads into this particular story and he's going to repeat the fact that this is someone that Jesus cared about deeply. He felt the situation. And with that in mind, if you think about how the story begins to evolve and take a turn, watch what happens in verse 4. It says, when he heard this, that uh, this one he loved had uh, passed away, or was sick, about to pass away, excuse me, Jesus said, this sickness will not lead to death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is a point of emphasis. Within two verses in our scripture, um, we're told he loved the one who was sick. And then it's reiterated in verse 5. He loved not just Lazarus, but he loved the whole family. Uh, these were his friends. Uh, I would dare say that he would have treated them like family. And I think you see that as the time uh, kind of goes on in the story. So let's just survey this passage. Let's, let's survey these two verses real quick. What are some things we learn? What are some things that you see in the passage that Jesus does? Well, the first thing that you see him do is that it says that he loved them. He loved uh, the one who was sick. The other thing is that he heard the news, didn't he? Okay. Uh, and Jesus declares that God's going to be glorified. Okay. That sounds like something preachers will say. Uh, and then he declares that this sickness will not end in death. Okay, well, that's done. Okay. Uh, it seems like, well, at that, at that point, then the story, the narrative should be over, shouldn't it? I mean, he loves this person. He loves the family. He hears about it. We have a God who hears. He says God is going to be glorified. And what better way to be glorified than to declare that the sickness will not end in death? And so what would happen after that? Well, so when he heard that Lazarus sick, what it says in Scripture is that he spoke a word. Is that what your Scripture says? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't not say he spoke a word. Because we know, right? Because Jesus has the power to do that. Yeah, what comes to mind is that story of the centurion. When the centurion comes to him and he says, Listen, you don't have to go, Jesus. You don't have to show up. All you need to do, I know what it's like to command people and tell them to do this and don't do that. And you're a commander. You're, you're, you're a boss. And you can just speak a word. You don't even have to show up. And you can heal my brother. 
I, I actually wonder if, if that's what Martha was after. I mean, we don't know. We can't get into her mindset, but she would have had to have known the power of Jesus, and to send for him wasn't prob- probably wasn't just like, hey, uh, it's the final hours. We want you to come and say, pay your last respects. I think she desired for something else to happen for what we all have ingrained in us. We all want hope, and we all recoil from death. And so she sends, and he doesn't speak a word. Uh, another thing that would have been logical, he heard that Lazarus was sick. Oh, this is why I don't need him uh, Rodney, are you with me? Yes. Yeah, but I can't deal with technology. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, it's on my screen. I know what I'm saying, so that's good. We get to look at Monet. Yeah. You see how Monet ties into Martha, don't you? I'm sure there's like th- th- the, the, the cloudiness, the, you know, never mind, I can, I can go through all that. Uh, do we have anybody in here that knows how to make this work? Okay. Anybody? Okay. Okay, sorry about that. Oh, man. We're just getting to the good stuff, too. Like, I mean, I promise the rest of it's awesome. I don't know what it's doing. I tried that, too. So what we don't do is we don't step on our cords, ladies and gentlemen. I want to log out. Okay. Yeah. Is there anybody over there that we can just solicit real quick? Hey, Cameron, let's give a Cameron a hand. Oh, you can't change, though. We're going to be on this slide for the rest of the morning, and that's okay. I don't know. Well, I'm going to have to have my notes so I can keep it going. But. Josh. All right. Well, we got this slide, so I can talk about this while y'all are doing that. Uh, so he heard that Lazarus was sick, and so he dropped everything that he was doing, and he went off to Bethany, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, if you love someone, you've heard the news, you've said that he's going to be glorified, he's through it, and that it's not going to lead to death, then either he has to speak a word in your mind, right? Or he has to get on the scene. Uh, he has to be a first responder. He has to get there quick. And you would think, I think logically, very unloving and this is the way a lot of people look at God they they look at God and maybe this is something that you've wrestled with in that tension between hope and death is we look at God and say where are you 
and your non-presence, uh, the absence of your presence communicates volumes. It actually screams the fact that you can't be trusted. And there's a lot of people in our world that are asking that very question. Am I good? This right here. Uh, that are asking that very question about God. Is God there? Right? And this is the question that's present, in, looming in the air. The other question I think is looming in the air is if God does know about it, and he is powerful, but he chooses not to change the circumstances, then is that a God that can be trusted? And these, these are the real questions. These are the questions that your friends are asking. These are the questions that people don't gather on Saturday mornings in Bible studies to talk about. They're doing something else. Because they cannot reconcile these types of questions with what they would think that they would do if they were God. And I think if we're honest, this is the way that we feel, isn't it? Because just as you said, his response was none of those. He stayed there for two more days. And after two days, and I, I don't know what it was like to be the disciples. Can we just say that for a second? Like, should we bring it up? Like, for two days? <laughs> Did Jesus forget? Like, I mean, I don't know what Jesus was doing, but, you know, they, they have a habit, the disciples do, of, like, nudging each other and say, you ask. No, you ask, you know. Like, like did, he, they, did he forget about this? Because I would dare say that the disciples loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, too. This is a hard thing to process if you don't know how the story ends. If, you, if you're really in the story, this tension between hope and death that's just looming through the whole thing, these symbols that are pressing through. What we need is we need a sign, don't we? We need something to point the way through the darkness, through the shadow. The passage progresses and says, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews had tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? All right. Jesus answered, Are, you, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. There's our word again. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Light, light, darkness. In verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And I, I love that. Uh, I, I love the fact that Jesus yeah, is on a mission. He's on a purpose. And it's interesting, isn't it, if you hold those things in tension, the, the waiting for two days and the mind of purpose that he has. Now, this is truly what, what, we, what we, uh, we labor to grasp when it's to try to understand the magnitude of God's omnipotence and his power. When we as finite broken people try to put the pieces together but John tells us the story. He tells us that Jesus was walking with purpose and he was going to go there and he was going to go and wake him up. So on his arrival, what happens? Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Uh, John wants to put that uh, in there so we can kind of have a, a little bit of a geographic stamp and we know about how far it is and how long it would have taken to get there. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. The only reason I mention this is because this is what John's doing. He's building with each part of the thing this tension, isn't he? He wants to mention how long it took. And then I think what he wants is he wants to take another stab at it. And he wants to just say that many Jews had already made it there. <laughs> they already got there. 
uh, not to be morbid, but I mean, if a lot of times uh, because uh, we've all been to funerals, uh, we've been to visitations, and what I know is probably a typical thing is people like to get there early, don't they? They like to get in line early. Um, they get in line early because they know oh, this, there's going to be a lot of people there, right? I, I got to get there. Um, and some of that's because they've got work or other responsibilities or commitments and stuff like that. But some of it's just because when you love somebody, you want to communicate to them that you thought of them first. You wanted to get there. You didn't want to be last in line. You wanted to be first in line. But in effect, I think what John's doing here is he's basically saying Jesus was last in line. He didn't get to the visitation early. I would dare say people were asking the question, is he going to show? And not only is that culturally taboo in 2022 in Jonesboro, Arkansas, with your friends and family and your church, but think about how taboo it would have been in the first century. I mean, this was an ultimate slap in the face. This was a cloud of confusion. This was probably um, some talk behind closed doors. Where was he? And we know that because that's exactly what comes out in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. There's so much stuff packed in here. Um, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but there's a few things that pop out. The first thing that pops out, I think, in here is the honest confession. Ronnie mentions this in his book. Uh, this, is, this is the part where, where she says to Jesus, in all honesty, what she was actually feeling and thinking. Um, she displays for us what it's like to be honest about your faith and honest about your complaints and honest about your doubts. Um, as I was reading this, my mind went back. Uh, I know Rodney mentions in the book uh, a lot of the Psalms. My, my mind went to Psalm 137, and unless you've memorized the Psalms, you might not know what that is. But uh, it's the time when uh, the people of God are getting taken away into captivity. And um, there's this, uh, you need to read it because it, it, it's one of those that you skip over because it's a little hard to take in, you know. It's one of those things where they, they actually hang their lyres or their musical instruments on the poplar trees. And it, the passage or the psalm ends with, happy is he who repays you for what you've done, who dashes your infant's heads against the stones. I mean, this is honesty. This is scripture. This is saying what's really in you. I don't know how I can sing praises right now. I'm hanging my instrument up. And we all know to show back up at church the next Sunday after a loss is a really hard thing sometimes. I've told our congregation uh, many times that one of the things I actually do, I sit on the front row, which Bronk and I were talking about the other day, like, why, did, why do we sit on the front row? Why don't we sit in the back like other people? Um, some of you know who you are. Uh, uh, why can't I sit in the back? Um, but here's what I do oftentimes when I'm singing songs is I'll look over my shoulder and I will actually look at the congregation, not to see if they're raising their hands or not, but here's the thing is I know their stories, many of them. And we'll get to a particular part of a song that I know the story when they have to say how great is our God or they have to sing how great thou art or they have to say, you know, talk about the faithfulness of God. And I know they've been through the dark night of the soul. 
And it gives my heart a whole lot of strength to look over my shoulder and to see these people through sometimes gritted teeth and tears actually saying what they believe to be true in spite of the evidence in front of them, in spite of the darkness that they're going through. And I think that's why God gives us the church, isn't it? It's not so that we can all put on masks. I mean, never mind. Uh, <laughs> it's not so that we can actually try to fake one another out and be pretty people. It, it, it's that we embrace this tension. And can I just say that the world needs that right now? They need a group of people that are intellectually honest about what we're really going through here. And it's the only thing that will actually make our faith real and need it. And that's exactly what you have here. You have a woman who says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And almost in the same breath, but I know, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You weren't here then, but it's not over with you, Jesus. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And so Martha, she says her complaint. She says her praise. She acknowledges who he is. Her, that's the confession, part of her confession. But then she shows her theological depth. She says, I already know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And this is kind of the thing we know. We're like, we, we all look to the future and hope, right? Um, we're looking for inspiration, like we know the right thing to say. Yeah, I know that we're going to see him again, you know, in the great by and by or whatever, uh, or whatever the common vernacular is in 2022. We would say those things, and we know to say the right things, but what she's essentially saying is, I know that's the future, but I'm hurting right now in this moment. And this is the raw honesty. And so that leads us to a question. How does it make you feel? that God accepts the honest complaints of his people, as demonstrated by Martha's conversation to Jesus, as well as in the Psalms of Lament, like we talked about. Does that give you comfort, self-compassion? Does it encourage you to be more honest with the Lord about your grief? You just got, what, what do you guys think? Does it do that for you? Does it help you? Does anyone want to share maybe a personal uh, story of how this is applied to your life personally? We're diving in deep on that one. Yeah. I really think that's one of those things that we have to process. I think it should, shouldn't it? It should give us comfort. It should give us self-compassion. It should encourage us to be more honest with the Lord about our grief. But I think that's why John models for us Martha is we have to have that model for us. Uh, some of us feel like that's sacrilegious. Maybe you grew up in a time when to complain to God or to question God meant you had no faith. But Martha's abiding with Jesus actually says the opposite of that. Opposite. Tells us that actually you can bring all of your complaints to God. And you can bring the tension. You can bring like, you know, one moment you're this and one moment you're that. And you can still confess and you can still believe. And so this should give us comfort. When you get with Martha, what you get from her, you get questions, you get faith, and you get theological understanding. She has all those in this moment, not just one of them. And I think we need to embrace the fact that those things can mutually coexist. They can mutually coexist as disciples. You don't have to push your questions to the back. You, didn't, you don't have to just say what you theologically understand. You can 
oscillate between all those because that is what it means to be human and to need Jesus. We all need inspiration, don't we? And I think what she was probably looking for was a little bit of inspiration. And I think Jesus gives her a specific kind. And she helps, to see, she helps him, excuse me, he helps her to see him through the shadow. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the question. He states who he is. I love the way that the message says this. Um, well, I don't know if it's there. It's not there. It's not there. I don't know why. The message basically says that the resurrection is right here because I'm here. Um, she was thinking future events, obviously, and he's thinking right now. Um, she's still laboring to process this, and all my slides are gone again. There we go. There it is. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now, resurrection and life. Um, and what he's talking about here, it's, it's easy to see this as, uh, as a symbol itself. He's just waxing poetic, you know. You know, he's just saying something really like profound, like Jesus liked to say. But I think he's not just saying something poetic. I think he's saying something very practical. Because when we look at our faith, what we're, what we're not talking about is we're not talking about just symbols. We're not just talking about inspiration. We all know those inspirational films, right? Um, some of my favorite ones, you remember Rudy from back in the, back in the day? Everybody's out there, Rudy, Rudy, the little guy, he finally gets his chance on the field. He pushes through all the obstacles, and you walk out of the movie theater, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, until Monday it comes, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, and then you got Daniel LaRusso. Y'all know who Daniel LaRusso is, right? Y'all remember this guy? Right. You know, he, he's bullied unless you look at the, the modern-day reenactment and you get the backstory of how he's actually the, <laughs> the bad guy. But uh, never mind. Check out the Netflix series if you're in for it. Um, you got Rocky One, Rocky Two, Rocky Three, Rocky Four, Rocky Five, and then all the other spinoffs, right? Because we're all looking for hope, and we're all looking for inspiration. But what we need is we need a sign that points past symbols and helps us to arrive at an actual solution for the problem. Because the movies, the songs, the inspirational speeches, they don't last that long in the dark. Because another thing's coming, and another thing's coming. And so with that, Jesus actually says, you don't have to wait to the end, and you don't have to wait for just a symbol. You can have something concrete. What's the concrete thing? N.T. Wright says it this way. With the resurrection, it isn't just a doctrine, doctrine, excuse me. It isn't just a future fact. It's a person. And here he is standing in front of Martha, teasing her to make the huge jump of trust and hope. Uh, I, when you think about our faith, one thing that I think is unique for me is the, the idea that um, it, it's not asking us to not say what is true. Uh, it is not uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It is not uh, stick your head in the sand. It's not saying things are as bad as they are. I mean, the whole, uh, the whole gospel is predicated on the fact that you really are that bad that God had to come down and get involved. That's exactly the dire nature of what we're dealing with here. 
And that's exactly what he gives us. He gives us not inspirational speeches and not just symbols, but he gives us himself. And he does this for a couple of reasons. One is he does it so that we can locate our faith. If we ever have to ask questions about this God, we can actually look to an actual historical person and an actual historical time that did an actual historical thing for us. This becomes crucial for John. As a matter of fact, we're not talking about his letters, but if you were to fast forward uh, to his letters, um, you'll see it say this in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so what did, who did Jesus love in the passage? Class? Yeah. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. And so what did he do? He, he came among them. And he did this so that they might live through him. And so this is a concrete thing that our faith emanates from. And you see that in the passage, don't you? Yes, Lord, she replied in verse 27, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You've come into the world. You came and got your hands dirty. You showed up. And I think in, in that, Martha's even probably wrestling like, well, I know you're here, but what does that really mean? You know, what does that really mean? But she makes the confession, maybe through gritted teeth and probably through tears, she makes the confession, you are the Messiah, you are the hope that pierces through the shadow and you've come into the world. So the question, Reeves, not me, that one over there, speaks of Martha's ability to move from lament to praise based on revelation of who Jesus is. Rather than any signs or miracles he has or has not performed for her yet, what aspects of Jesus' character, who he is, help you move from lament to praise? So let's answer that question together. What are some things about Jesus' character that help you, in times of lament, move to praise? We understand that, that he loves us personally and individually too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just true for them, right? Somebody else. He showed up, yeah. And that means something, doesn't it? Have you ever had somebody show up for you in a time where you, where you were in time of need? Does anyone want to share a story of when that has happened practically? Just when somebody showed up for you? Back in 20, I had COVID. Yeah. 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 I like what you said, Larry. Larry. Larry said that he, when he had COVID, uh, he had a single adult that lived uh, next to him that showed up, and he was there. Sometimes just being there <laughs> is is all that's said. Uh, I think as a pastor, that's the one thing I've tried to learn is I don't have to have all the answers that I can just be there with people. And that's not true of pastors. That's just true of being friends and family. Is that uh, sometimes it's just presence that that makes all the difference in the world. And so what we have with Martha is she's in the presence of Jesus. Jesus has showed up, and the fact of his presence helps her, doesn't it, to move from lament to praise. And Jesus takes it all in. 
And, and you see the humanness of Jesus as we finish it out. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit, troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then uh, Bible trivia, shortest verse in the Bible. doesn't really mean anything, but Jesus wept. doesn't mean anything for Bible trivia, really, but it does mean a lot. Uh, because this shows that Jesus, even in the midst of his purpose and his planning, was not obtuse. He was not distant. He was not emotionally distant. He is not a robot. This helps us to see who this God really is, because this is what John's doing, right? He's, he's manifesting, he's revealing for us God, what God is actually like. And this is the question, what is this God like in these situations? And what God is like is he is like one like you and me who sees other hurting and he hurts with them. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave of stone rolled across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, this is, uh, this is real life. Uh, he stinketh, right? The sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he had been there for four days. And without getting into all the, you know, mourning and grieving process, I mean, let's just say, like, this makes a lot of sense, right? Um, much less all the, all the significance and overtones and, you know, what it would mean as far as shame and honor and whatnot. Um, this, is the speak, this is to speak of finality because there's nothing as final, it seems, as death. And once someone has decomposed, even with the best of faith and the best intentions, it would seem like it's just a little bit too late. But Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this in front of the benefit of these people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So ultimately, what was Jesus here to do? Jesus wasn't here just to resuscitate for a short-term Lazarus, was he? He wasn't just, he was there to reveal the fact that there was life and life was in his name. That's what he says in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says that this is his purpose, that we may find life in his name. Jesus is always thinking about the other. When we get into a, a period where we're in loss, it's really hard, isn't it? And it makes sense, and nobody would ask you to do this, to think about somebody else at that moment. But God does. When we are so nearsighted to think of our own pain, God is seeing through the pain, and he's even leveraging the pain, as Paul would say in Romans 8, right? He says that he will use even the worst of things for the glory of God. He will bring good out of those things. Not that those things themselves are good, but he will leverage those for the belief of others so that they could experience true life. And so when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is the climax. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so what's the solution? Well, with Jesus, the worst thing you see is never the last thing. It's never the last thing. Uh, and I don't know what the worst thing that you've seen is. Uh, I don't. Um, I, w I wouldn't really even necessarily dare to ask, I think. Um, but what I do know, what I do know is whatever it is, 
Jesus is the resurrection and life. And through the lens of Martha, we see what it's like to relate to God in complete honesty. And so the encouragement I think that I, I, would, I would hopefully exhort you to find in this is if you're struggling in a particular area of your faith, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're human. And that's exactly why God came in the flesh. He weeps with us. He weeps with you. He comes and he can handle the complaints. And your, your idiosyncrasies and your lack of faith at times. And he will receive you at that. And I think that's one thing for us to digest. But it's another thing that helps us to see the world around us. Because they're asking these questions. And I, I'll just be honest with you. I don't see a lot of them anymore running to our church buildings to find the answers. And so what does this mean? It means for us that we show up. We go to where they are. And we are honest about their questions. And we weep with them. And we cry with them. And I think we point them back to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And so that's what we've got for today. That's what we've got. So what i like to do is finish up. I just want to pray over you before you head out. And uh, about your day. And that God would use this to shape us into his likeness. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you showed up. Lord, thank you for showing up. You didn't have to do that, but because of your character of who you are, you revealed it in the person of Jesus that this is exactly what we can expect from our God. And there are people that are hurting in this room, perhaps, that need the encouragement of just knowing you're there. And so I thank you, Lord, that you gave us the definitive act of coming into the world, dying on a cross, and overcoming sin and death and darkness so that you could become the solution for us. Lord, make us ready to enter into the darkness. Not that the culture itself is the darkness, but the culture is immersed in darkness. They are wrestling with the tension that we all wrestle with between hope and death. And Lord, I don't know what it's going to take for you to actually shape us into the type of churches that they want to see, but I, I think we see it in Martha. And so help us to become more like her. Help each one of us be honest. Help each one of us be true. Help each one of us to confess through gritted teeth and through tears oftentimes so that the world would know that you're the resurrection and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you guys so much.